0: Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast, I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental well-being. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Betson Corkhill. Betson is a former physiotherapist and lifestyle coach. She's an expert in therapeutic knitting and also the author of Knit for Health and Wellness can find links to the stitch links website and any of the yarns and patterns we discuss in the show notes. Hi Bets and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure, I'm really pleased to be able to talk to the kind of one of the founders of therapeutic knitting. (laughs) Um, I would love to start with asking where your story with knitting began.
1: Well, my mother taught me to knit when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember being intensely frustrated at the time because I immediately wanted a jumper. Um, so I didn't then knit for quite some time, actually until I was expecting my first child, and then I knitted quite a few things, and I knitted mm-hmm. the christening shawl, and then I had another big gap, and I went back to it when I started this project, the the research Uh, into the meditative creative and social benefits of knitting because I because I'm a really firm believer in practicing what I preach and now Mm I do it more or less every day yeah
0: and did the project come about first rather than you weren't knitting at the time you started because of the project
1: yeah yeah Um, yeah it's uh it's quite a long it's 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 I think it's quite an interesting story how I got into it actually because I was a uh was working as a physiotherapist Mm -hmm. um a community physiotherapist And I was asked by GPs to go into people's homes for people who weren't able to get to the physiotherapy department for some reason. So it could be a whole range of reasons across a whole range of age groups. And I soon realized that, you know, call her Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith wasn't getting out of her chair because she had no reason to get out of her chair. She had absolutely nothing in the day, no purpose, nothing she was successful at. Um, And... I wasn't. You know, the system didn't allow me to 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 give the time and uh, the treatment that that person needed. You know, I was allowed to go in three times maybe to change somebody's whole lifestyle. Mm. Uh, so I got really frustrated, and I I I left, and I became a freelance production editor for a range of magazines, okay. and ended up ended up on a range of um, craft and. Well, across the whole, the, the whole craft portfolio um, and I did a three six month stint on the craft portfolio one of my jobs was to sort the letters pages
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that entailed reading all the letters that came into the, the office every day and they literally got sacks full of letters mm. every day and I realized that most of them were talking about the therapeutic benefit of their craft but particularly knitting um and I mentioned it to the editor of one of the knitting magazines and she said oh yes I we we know there's something really important here but we don't know what it what it is mm. she said I've got a filing cabinet full of letters there would you like to go read them and there were literally thousands of letters because wow. they just run a competition about what is it you find you know beneficial about knitting um and it was the first time somebody with a medical background had read these letters and it was really striking, they were really profound life stories, you know, mm. sort of I I remember I remember very vividly the first letter I picked up was from a 14-year-old girl who had who said, I don't have to take my pain medication when I knit. I'm often in hospital and I don't so I don't have to take that medication when I knit. It it helps me. Um and the second was from um a lady who had tried to commit suicide and her husband had taken her in. A simple knitting project into hospital out of desperation, really, to try and get her interested in something. Mm. And she said, "Now I, now I look forward to my next project, and I look forward to tomorrow." Um, and that had changed her life. So there were those kind of profound stories, and I thought, "Wow, wow there, there's something really important here." Mm. That gave me um, goosebumps
0: to hear that. Yeah, and to think they yeah. were sitting in a filing cabinet until you came along. Yes, yes. Wow. And
1: um, so I, my first thought was, "Oh, I wonder if this." Wonder if this could help Mrs. Smith, who sits to, you know, in her armchair, to enable her to be successful at something. To so using it as a springboard to um, to get interested in the in the world, you know, open up the world and get interested in doing other things. Um, and then it, and then as as more I started to research it because I wanted to know. I think the striking things is, is there were large numbers of people saying very very similar things, as I'm sure you've discovered yeah um and i wanted to know why that, that was happening what was happening and the, if, if there was any science behind it um because you know there had to be something happening within them biologically and chemically for them to feel better and so i wanted to know what 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 was happening so yeah. that's how it started and the more i researched the more i realized how you know how important it was so then i started thinking about Developing the idea of therapeutic knitting, which, and for me, I would I would describe therapeutic knitting as a combination of knitting and knowledge. So mm. enhancing the, you know, knitting has its benefits, but you can learn how to enhance those benefits, um, and you can have knowledge about how to do that. But also, and you know, people who fit and well can do that. But also, if you've got a medical condition you can learn about that condition and learn how to use knitting to manage the symptoms uh, and further enhance those benefits. Mm. So that's where that's where um, it all started. So I approached a pain clinic here in Bath um, and asked if they'd be interested in setting up a group. I didn't hear back from them for about six months. So I thought, well, you know, that's it. And then six months later, I said, well, and they said, yeah, we'd be quite interested. Mm. And that was back in 2006. So I started up, I started a therapeutic knitting group in a pain clinic. And that really got me interested in the subject of pain. So since then I've specialized in helping working with people with long-term pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, oh help, I'm you know, I'm gonna to have to run a knitting group in two weeks' time. I've got to get back to knitting, <laughs> how to <laughs> knit again of course once you've learned you you never forget it yeah it's still in there somewhere yes uh so then I got back to doing it myself and I and I do I do really believe in practicing what I preach I don't think you can advise people to do things if you're not doing it yourself really
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so is that do you keep doing it in your personal life for yourself
1: yes yes
0: yeah and do you feel like you've noticed those therapeutic benefits even on any level for you for your life are there times when you feel like you turn to the knitting more
1: uh, oh yes absolutely it's mm. it's um you know i use it as a as a way of managing stress on a yeah. on a more or less daily basis and mm. bringing that especially recently but i think people have needed to keep those those you know sort of stress system uh, you know rebalance them because it's been a stressful you know last 20 months for everybody
0: yeah during COVID Um, so
1: yes I think it's become um, more important for people to incorporate those things into into their daily lives
0: yeah I have to say I also felt really lucky to have a hobby something I love doing that I could still do in COVID that it wasn't something you know my main hobby was something that wasn't allowed because of the restrictions yeah yeah are there particular things you enjoy knitting at the moment
1: um well I have um I have different projects going um and I've always advised people to have a range of different projects on the go according to the mood they're in on the day but all but also maybe according to the mood they would like to move themselves into because mm. you go into a different mind state with, with with whatever project you're on so I have I will have an easy one um Uh, and uh, or a more or a more challenging one um, on the go and my focus has changed actually you know from from when I was a child at seven to becoming really frustrated not being able to get an end product now it's more it's changed in that I can I can um, knit something that will take a year to finish and I'd be quite happy with that and just do it for the process, yeah. Not for not for that end project, although the end project when it comes is extra specially nice. Yeah. Because I spent the whole of the first, yeah, it. spent the whole of the first lockdown knitting a. Oh, I knitted. We had we, our first grandchild arrived in the first lock, be, very beginning of the first lockdown. Oh, so congratulations! We weren't, allowed, we weren't allowed to see him. Oh. Um. Because they live quite a quite. They live a three-hour drive away, so. Mm. I decided rather I knit a cot blanket as a as a hug from us because we couldn't give him a a physical hug. Uh, And our daughter, who's living with us at the time, said, Oh, I love that. Would you make me one? Only I want a double bed size. (laughs) So I spent the whole of the first lockdown knitting this double bed, um, very easy sort of garter stitch, but with a slightly zigzag, you know, sort of pattern in it. And it was wonderful. That's what kept me sane, I think, in, that, mm. in those first really anxious months when everything was still very unknown. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, that was her Christmas, one of her Christmas presents last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: And I guess she's got that to look back on and you can always associate that blanket, I guess, with, you know, getting through that really difficult period yes. of time. Yeah. Does it matter to you what the stitch pattern is or like more in the process does that
1: uh, um, make a difference? Really, or Not particularly. Not really. And uh, it needs to be one that I can in in if I want something easy and rhythmic like that. It needs to be something that I can, my brain can remember without really referring to a pattern sure. all the time. So um, yeah, but I but I um, I have you know sort of uh, I've done a lace shawl. Well, not done. I'm doing um, a lace shawl and another and another. Um, large sort of shawl st- scarf sh- stroke shawl pattern that's got a few different complicated lines in it mm-hmm. it's, you know in, in between I'm rhythmically away and then suddenly I come on this line right I have to pay attention now so that's quite a nice <laughs> one that's what because yeah. it takes it takes me about an hour to do a, a row <laughs> mm-hmm. oh wow so it's big because it's it's sock, it, well it's in sock yarn and it's okay. yes so it's uh, it depends I pick up and sometimes I'll just do a dishcloth
0: yeah so you'll do it or a face cloth pretty much every day we'll do some knitting
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah I'm exactly the same and I definitely also relate to the idea of having projects for different uh I don't know moments in my life so I need something I find if I'm doing a zoom training or something I need to knit something rhythmical and easy because it helps me focus on uh sitting still and listening yeah I'm learning something whereas I also like to have something more complicated I have to really focus on so that it's not possible to think about stressful things from the rest of my life at the same time as doing the knitting. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, obviously, the level is different for everybody. But if you have an easy project going on, you can listen to and take in information and retain information. I, and I think lots of knitters say they retain the information better, more effectively than yeah. knitting. Um, I wouldn't be able to do that with a complex pattern no it would have to be an easy one yeah same my, my brain my brain is is doing something automatically in the background but my attention is on the on yeah. the talk
0: yeah. yeah the same and I find it's easy to do you know stocking stitch or garter stitch for you know you can get through the boring inches on a, on a sweater or something that's right while you're yeah. listening definitely find it helps me focus um I would love to hear more about stitch links and the kind of community you've created and I know your invitation on the stitch links website for people to send you stories about their relationship with knitting. I I'm assuming that was inspired by this filing cabinet that you, this treasure trove yes. you came across of all those letters.
1: Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I continue to get stories and the stories are are mind blowing in there, mm. you know, in what, what, um, I mean, I had one yesterday from somebody who said my mother, Last year, my mother and father were both in intensive care with COVID. Fortunately, they both survived. But her mother returned home from hospital having to sleep on the sofa because she wasn't able to um, walk upstairs. She was too breathless to walk upstairs. Mm-hmm. Obviously quite low, unable to use her left hand. Um, and uh, her daughter took her some yarn and some needles and asked her to knit a blanket for her. And the mother has now just found her purpose mm. in life and she's regained the use of her left hand. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she, she, and she puts it all down to the knitting.
0: Mm. So I guess um, my area of work is mainly in the mental health and psychological benefits of knitting, but it sounds like you're really noticing also physical changes, yes. like the experience yes. of pain and, yes. I guess, rehabilitation yes. physically
1: uh yeah uh yes and it's i mean as you know it's all into intricately intertwined isn't it yes um you know if you if you feel better mentally you're more likely to go out and do something physically aren't you and and yeah. it's if you feel better physically you feel better mentally it's all in it's all intertwined yeah. so uh yeah it you you see the benefits across you uh, across the board and i th- and i think doing something like creative like knitting in in lockdown or in a situation of great uncertainty, and you know our, our fear systems were 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 used, weren't they, to yeah. to to give information out about COVID, and because you know you, they couldn't get that information across by appealing to people's common sense. The only way they could get people to adhere to lockdowns was to terrify the life out of everybody mm. and work and you know and all those advertising slogans were were based on our fear systems and making us afraid to go out and, and touch things and be close to people and mm. I, it, you can't just switch those on and you know haven't switched on for two years or well, 18 months two years and expect them then to switch off again you yeah. know people are still there's still that fear there and I think having something creative like knitting in that time has been almost the opposite to that to that level of fear it's It creates a sense of safety um Mm -hmm. it's colorful it's constructive it's sort of the all the all the things that are opposite to to what we to what our minds were tending to dwell on all the time
0: yeah it would be really helpful if you've got a kind of summary of all of the work you've done and the the things that you've noticed being therapeutic about knitting have you got a kind of is there a way of synthesizing it I think you've got is it right you've got a knitting equation on the stitch links website yeah it'd be helpful just to hear a little bit about
1: that um so the knitting equation um I I divided it up into three columns so Mm -hmm. the first column are the movements and I think the movements are really important um and and the second column is having an enriched environment um, and then the third column is the benefits of the social engagement in a, in a group. So you can choose the, the, the benefits of knitting are dif- alone are different from knitting in a group. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the movements, the movements and its portability, I think, are what sets knitting apart from other creative activities.. Yeah. Um, so the movements are, are two-handed, they're bilateral, They cross the midline of the body, they're rhythmic and they're repetitive and they become automatic. And all those have um, a certain number of benefits. But I think the one that's of of most benefit is rhythm of the movements. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the stories will talk about the rhythm of movements and calming the mind down. And there is some research now that your brain likes rhythmic movement or rhythmic activities because it makes the brain feel safe Mm -hmm. you know you you know that the the brain is always predicting what's around the corner so it doesn't like surprises it doesn't like uncertainty that's that's why a lot of people have struggled over the last 20 months your Mm. brain hates uncertainty and and although uncertainty has always been there since the moment you were conceived you, you know, you, we used to live life with it in the background, really. Was, but over the last 20 months, has been thrust to the forefront of our minds every yeah. single day. Um, and rhythm is predictable. So it makes the brain feel safe. Um, so anything that's rhythmic will, will help. You know, I've had people send stories about they find drumming, for example, yeah. has a very similar effect. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say baking bread. Eating bread has the same effect. Playing a musical instrument. Well, the thing about those things, they they're great, and I would encourage people to do a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't take it with it on with you on on a bus. You can't yeah. do it on public transport. And that's the huge benefit of knitting is that you have a tool, a really effective tool for calming you down almost instantaneously. Um, that you can carry with you and we we've had quite a lot of success curing panic attacks for example lots of people can't go on public transport without it particularly Mm -hmm. now um and they you know you can use it in the middle of the night it doesn't disturb anybody else Mm -hmm. um so um that's really what raises it up we've we've really struggled apart from crochet And the 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 only way the crochet differs is that some styles of crochet are very one handed, um, and we tend to. uh, I would encourage people to learn a more two handed technique of crochet because I think two handed nature is is important.
0: Yeah, I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that because you and I had a conversation before we started recording about a study that's in progress that's using crochet and that it is different to knitting and it's something somebody else has mentioned in one of my interviews about crocheting but not quite finding the same therapeutic kind of feeling from crochet and I'm interested in and I think the two-handed and the bilateral movements is something I think a lot of people won't know about so I wondered if you could say a little bit more about the theories about why that's helpful.
1: Yeah I think I mean, there's no research to back this up specifically on knitting, but there is in other areas if you're if you're using, you know everybody, most people know if you're using your left hand is controlled by the right side of your brain and and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're bringing your hands together to form a complex pattern of movements, your brain has to work really quite hard to coordinate those hands. It occupies a lot of capacity in that moment. Mm-hmm. If you're crossing the midline, then you're going over into that sort of brain space with your hands and that that actually complicates things even even further. So um, there there are quite a few people that say that, yes, maybe they find sewing uh, rhythmic, but a two-handed movement seems to induce the meditative state more readily Because that you're taking up more capacity, more of the brain is involved in that core in that coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there's uh, some with with crochet. If you're holding the crochet hook with one hand and just holding the yarn with the other hand and just picking up the yarn, you're very much more or less you just using one hand.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there are techniques where you can feed the yarn with your with uh, the yarn holding hand so that you are getting this more coordinated okay. pattern of movements. That's just a, a, a theory of mine, but I think it's, you know, if, you, if you're if you getting down to the real detail, you have to look at things like that. Um, I was thinking and, about um,
0: EMDR. Um, yeah. So eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is something used in trauma therapy by psychologists. Yeah. It's not something I'm specifically trained in, but lots of my colleagues are. And that uses... Um, eye movements and sometimes tapping and yeah. um, crosses the midline of the body and the idea is that those repetitive movements help with reprocessing a traumatic memory so I think it's yeah, a really there is a, interesting there is a, link. There is
1: discussion going on with uh, whether the mechanisms behind what's going on with knitting are very similar to e- EMDR and I've certainly worked with people suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and they incidence of flashbacks and the, the, the severity of the flashbacks has improved significantly with knitting mm. in fact knitting was a the treatment of choice for soldiers after world war one for shell shock oh wow i didn't know um, uh, which is, which we now know is post-traumatic stress yes. they they use knitting um so yeah the the there is that rhythmic repetitive movement that crosses the midline and teachers of young children will say they do something called brain gym which is a a series of movements that cross the midline Mm. of the body to get the brain awake in the morning in the mornings Mm. and again there's a there's a um you know focus on crossing that midline Mm. um the other thing i would say about crochet is that if you holding a hook and you have a sort of like a pincer grip on the hook and you're you're turning your hand all the time. The people that are susceptible to hand and wrist pain get more hand and wrist pain, okay. uh, yeah. so need to pace need to pace crochet more than they pace okay. knitting. Yeah. So that's the other that's the other issue. If you if you have a tendency towards hand and wrist pain, to be a little bit kept more careful there. Mm. But I would encourage people to to do both. It's not yeah. you know,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, the great as you know, the, the yeah you know, variety is good for the brain. So yeah. you don't want Well, therapeutic knitting is not about encouraging people to sit and knit all day.
0: Yeah.
1: It's about using it as a tool to improve your well-being. Um, It's about not sitting for more than about 20 minutes. It's about getting up and moving around. That's Mm -hmm. all part of that therapeutic side, getting a circulation going um, and using it as part of a whole sort of well-being toolbox, really. Yeah
0: have you had much um, I don't know I'm wondering about what the reception was from academics when you're applying for research funding or for people who were suggested to come to a a knitting group for pain management like how have you found that has been received by people who might Uh, not be knitters
1: in the beginning um scientists researchers laughed and doctors laughed Um, and I don't know if you knew. No, but I had to call knitting something different in the beginning.
0: I think um, I read that in your book, that you had to rebrand so I had to call it. it, it a,
1: as... Yeah, I had to call it a bilateral rhythmic psychosocial intervention. <laughs> okay. uh, and that and it, worked? Was a, it did. It did. Um, it, yeah, it is really weird. There <laughs> is a, I, I would go as far as saying there's almost a fear of using the word knitting in some circles, mm. or a fear of being seen as a knitter. It, it's 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 bizarre it's mm-hmm. it's it's all it's a fear of because people see it as something that's been that's done by women it's soft it's you know it's, it's the opposite to to science really soft it's fluffy done by uh, people think it's done by uh, older women or yeah. your granny um, in a, you know and there's a lot of that thinking that's going on underneath what people think of knitting yeah. And um, soon as I started to argue from the scientific perspective, you know, I'd be in a conference and people would say, say to me, what do you do then? And I'd say, well, if I do, I use the K-word or not. Be my <laughs> <first> K-word. <laughs> um, and um, if I used the, the K-word, people would in, and say, you know, we're using knitting to treat chronic pain. Um, they would laugh.
0: Mm. And
1: you could see their gaze going elsewhere and say, how am I going to get away from this mad woman? And Mm -hmm. I was treated a bit like a a knitting evangelist who wanted to spread the word knitting. Whereas ironically at that time, I wasn't, I wouldn't have called myself a knitter.
0: Okay.
1: I hadn't got back into it then. Yeah. Um, But if I said we're using a bilateral rhythmic psychosocial intervention they would say well that's interesting and what are you doing how are you doing that then yeah. and that would open the, that would open the door when we're using knitting as a you know so it wasn't yeah it wasn't seen as knitting then mm,
0: that's so interesting and I, and so I it took you' a while that the, to overcome that stigma
1: yes yeah and we, yeah. I know we've had funding proposals turned down without them being read because the word knitting's being in the title right. wow so, and has yes, it changed
0: but, at all since you started? Yes. So you said started in 2005.
1: Yeah, it yeah. has changed. Um, I'm asked to speak quite regularly now to groups of doctors. Um, mm-hmm. Before COVID, we had a number of GP clinics and hospitals who were thinking of starting up therapeutic knitting groups. Obviously, can't, couldn't do that in person now. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, people don't laugh anymore. Um, and also, um, I have a lot more confidence in it as well, which makes Mm. a difference because it was a bit, it was, it was quite challenging to me personally, you know, if you have somebody just laugh at you. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) When you think, when you're thinking, "Mm, right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think it took me a while to feel confident enough to do that. I think, you know, I left my NHS job in 2017 and went into private practice and, As I was leaving my NHS team, I was known as the knitter there and I'd organised a few, you know, collaborative projects where we knitted squares and I put them together to make blankets for people's babies. And I said, you know, I'd really like to run therapeutic knitting groups. And it was slightly kind of taken as a bit of a joke. And I think it's taken me until this year, really, to think, no, actually, there is enough evidence behind the idea of running therapeutic knitting groups and starting to use it more in my work without feeling worried about how people will yeah. respond. And I think I've also taken some of the principles of therapeutic knitting and applied them a bit flexibly to people who were say, would say no to knitting, but they're using some similar skills to create circuit yes. boards or doing something slightly different, but getting yeah. some of the same benefits um, in yeah. whatever way feels accessible for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I was known by one GP practice as that mad knitting woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um and even now I can go to a conference and um introduce to somebody and they'll say oh so you're that knitting woman you know I'm not <laughs> seen as as anything else apart from that knitting wo- woman but n- if now it's not done so with <laughs> in such a derogatory way yeah. <laughs> and maybe people are starting to see a bit more of the benefits
0: I certainly feel that, for example conferences just before COVID there was more of an idea about it's okay to doodle or it's okay to do something if it helps you to focus on sitting still for six hours and listening to a training course, which actually we as humans are not really designed to do.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot, I think actually COVID has helped bizarrely in some way in that people are a lot more um, accepting of what we would call mind body therapies as well. And there's now a lot of recognition in um you know needing a bottom-up as well as a top-down approach Um, and the benefits of that and you know knitting is is it it, you know changes the input into the brain but it also induces that level of calm so you get that top-down calm and the Mm bottom-up rhythm coming in and and there's more recognition scientifically now of 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 that
0: mm. and I wonder whether actually Covid has forced us all to think about what do I need in order to be happy and healthy like what do I yeah. need for my mind and my body yeah to yes. be able to function well as a human
1: yes and I a think lot of it's, things it's, were thrown up all,
0: in
1: the air yeah it's also alerted people to yeah. well yes I am connected to the natural world as well and it's all mm. you know it's all tied in it's not you can't solve everything with with a pill. It's all interrelated. It's all intertwined.
0: Mm. Um, one of the questions I always ask in the podcast is um, whether someone can talk about a significant knitting project for them. So that could be one of your projects. It could be one that's come up in, as part of your work.
1: Um, actually, the the blanket that's behind me there. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. My, I was noticing um, that.
1: Uh, it's when I did. It's my comfort blanket for when my mother died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Well, that was it was while it was eight years ago now, but um, it's pretty. It was pretty traumatic at the time, and as it happened, my one of my best friends' husband died in the same week in in traumatic in a traumatic way, and we both belonged to the same knitting group, Mm -hmm. so um, we both knit started. We we sat with each other, and I think in those times you you don't want to talk you, you know people when people come around they feel they need to talk but you don't want to talk mm. uh, so we just sat with each other in silence and knitted those blankets did you knit the same um,
0: blanket
1: she knitted a slightly different pattern okay. but yeah she was just going in straight lines back and yeah. forth, and that's all we needed and mine was more or less straight lines um but um members from the knitting group would knock on the door bring some cake and sit just sit down and knit with us and not mm. say anything and we mm. would you know and and they would come and go and supported us so I think that was it actually turned into quite a special time mm. um and you know and we both have that we both have those blankets now yeah
0: yeah
1: so, and does it feel
0: does it feel comforting now yes to have the blanket to remember yes that it period does. of time
1: yeah but it, it also feels comforting to know that that helped me deal with processing the trauma of it all mm. um, and it really did yeah um and I think without it perhaps I would have had some post-traumatic flashbacks because mm. I was sort of before you know sort of immediately after the event I was having those um and this certainly helped to calm those down so yes mm. I would say that's um
0: so that's a really special blanket
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: And I do think that's a really powerful thing about knitting that you can get through something really hard and have something that is a very physical, tangible reminder, but also in a comforting way, often of overcoming or living through surviving
1: something that was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a blanket is a nice is a nice project to do in that kind of um, thing, because it, it. because it keeps you warm as you're doing it Mm. it sort of wraps around you as you as you're making it so I think it's a really nice project mindless project to do while you're yeah and I think you know one of one of the things that came out in our in my observations of doing this work is that people don't get an opportunity to just be with other people without feeling they need to participate or talk very Mm. much anymore I, it was my mother who who actually um, brought that up. She, when I was visiting, you know, when I was staying with her um, towards the end of her life, she um, said, this, "It's so nice to have you here in the evening because I don't feel I have to talk. Mm. I, I can just be with somebody else." She said, "Whereas I get visitors. She had used to have visitors all the time who pop in for, but they pop in for a chat and feel they had to make conversation." Mm. Uh, and she said I don't want to make conversation all the time I just want to sit and be so mm. well actually that's what knitting allows even in a knitting group you yeah. can go into a group and sit in the group but you can sit and just be
0: yeah and I found um, that and really that, helpful for people who don't find social situations so yes. easy that there's a shared focus so a there's a topic of conversation if you want one but also there isn't any requirement to talk that you yes. could just be there with other people knitting, and not yeah. say anything at all, and that wouldn't be considered unusual or rude or. Yeah. Um, that would I think be I think that's
1: fine. I think that's one of the most important aspects of a group, particularly a therapeutic group, mm. um, because it, it it people come along even if they're not even if they're feeling particularly vulnerable on that day because yeah. they know they don't have to participate. All the people who used to come to my uh, pain knitting group. Wouldn't have gone to a group if it wasn't for knitting, mm. because every other group would require you to introduce yourself to say what you do, you know, and, and require you to, to, to take part. But it's, you know, what, one of the things we identified was that knitting is one of the few activities that you can have eye contact or not. Yeah, and the, the or not was really important because yeah. if you're not feeling like participating, you could. It's perfectly acceptable to just sit in it quietly. Yeah, and just as therapeutic to just sit in it quietly as it is to join in with the chat.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's yeah. what makes it so so valuable as a therapeutic um, tool for a for a, for a group. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've definitely spoken to people. Who don't always, you know, they've told me they don't find eye contact easy or. Um, sometimes it feels challenging and knitting is one of the things that has helped them to be in group spaces because it just isn't required in the same way it's perfect you know lots of people are just looking down at their knitting yes. or they look up you know fleetingly and that's fine
1: yes and there's always a topic of conversation there you can say well I really like that color or you know yeah. I've, I've done this what pattern you're doing so yeah. that you don't have to hunt for a topic of conversation yeah. either I think, I don't know whether you found, but what I've found when running knitting groups is that um, conversation tends to get much deeper and more intimate more quickly. And people find it easy to talk when they knit. Um, mm. And I think that's something to do with the automatic nature of movements. And I wasn't, at first I wasn't, I didn't really focus on the automatic nature but now I think that it's really quite important because I think if you give the brain a background automatic task to do, yeah. then it's somehow, and, the, and some of the stories say this actually, that somehow frees up the rest of the mind, uh, the brain to, to do other things. It it occupies the brain at, at a low level, yeah. enabling them to talk. To talk um, and, um, you know, very, very. I've lost count of the number of times that people have said to me while we're sitting and knitting together. I haven't told anybody this before, but, mm. yeah. Um, and it's usually a pretty horrendous story of some of some sort of trauma that they've kept in that they haven't yeah. felt able to talk about. Mm. Um, I wonder whether the eye they...
0: contact helps with that as well, because certainly some of the things that I work a lot with um, teenagers and their families, and I find that parents of teenagers often say. Well, they don't really open up to me unless we happen to be in the car driving somewhere. And I guess driving is another automatic kind of process. But also um, from the teenager's perspective, who's probably not doing the driving, they're sitting not having to make eye contact or have an intense we're sitting down to have a chat type conversation. And maybe that feels a bit safer to then start to talk about something that might be quite difficult.
1: Yes, I think, I mean, I think it's that feeling of safety, that's the important bit, mm. you get a sort of, it does, when you're knitting, you do get a sense of safety, of being safe, being safe in that moment, um, and again, I think that's down to the, down to the movements, the, those rhythmic movements, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you feel safer to divulge that information. Mm.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. Um- <laughs> I always end the podcast with, with, with asking what's the greatest gift that you've been given by knitting that's hel- helped you in the rest of your life?
1: I don't know what, you, what your ideas are Ooh. about that, Betson. Uh, I think for me, it's set me on a completely different path in life. Mm. In terms um, of your career? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's got me thinking outside the box because, you know, I was a physio and mm-hmm. as a physio, we were trained in a very biomechanical way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm completely sort of away from that now and it's it's opened my ideas up to a whole range of issues um, i'm i do a lot of work now in the world of of long-term pain with people mm-hmm. long-term pain um, i become a tai chi teacher mm-hmm. um, as a result of knitting which sounds okay. a bit strange but there are many similarities it's mm. sort of rhythm, rhythmic movement it's um So, yeah, so it's completely changed the the course of my life, really.
0: Mm. Wow. So that's a big thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure there'll be loads of people who want to hear more about your work, about the research and therapeutic knitting in general. How
1: can they find out more about your work or get in touch with you? um well my through the website uh stitchlings.com but yep. also my book knit for health and wellness how to knit a flexible mind has got um a lot of advice about therapeutic knitting and, mm-hmm. and history of it um and i'm quite happy for people to email me at um betson at stitchlinks.com. okay um yeah so uh happy for anybody to contact me
0: lovely i mean betson it's been an absolute pleasure to hear all about your experiences it's been so interesting and thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast
1: thank you i've really enjoyed it
0: thank you for listening to the why i knit podcast if you'd like to find out more about therapeutic knitting you can follow me on instagram at knitting is therapeutic or check out my website therapeutic knitting.org To be notified when a new podcast is released, please subscribe on your podcast app.